Football Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to another interview episode of the Italian Football Podcast. My name is Nima Tavale Ruzzari and I'm really thrilled today to be joined by a recurring and a guest and a very good friend of the show who I suspect is absolutely radiating with joy right now. He is the uh, president uh, of Campobasso and co-owner of Ascoli, Mr. Matrizetta. We usually begin by asking guests how they're doing, but I feel that would be silly to do that because I think you're feeling really well. <laughs> <laughs> Great to be here, Nima. Yeah, I, um, I'm running on fumes, but it's been a, it's been a, an amazing past uh, couple of days here as we won our first, hopefully, of several promotions. For sure. I mean, that's exactly it. Because we, when we had you last on, it was just you. You told this this incredible story of all the the drama and adventure that you guys had been on since we'd last spoken, and you'd taken over the new Campo Basso, and you were just, I mean, you were putting together a team with, like, what was it, just a few weeks left before the season started, and you didn't really have anything there, and you guys have really worked so hard, and you ended up winning, and winning promotion to to uh, Serie D, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, we closed the deal. It was, I want to say it was September 11th, when we closed the transaction, our, our first <laughs> match. The first match was September 19th, so we had seven or eight days. We had no players. We had no coach. We had no GM. We had no CEO. There was mushrooms growing off of the stadium's, uh, <laughs> stadium's pitch, and here we are less than a year later with our first championship and promotion, so it's been, it's been surreal, but we have a great team that was uh, working behind the scenes. They worked their butts off this year to put us in this position, of course, along with the guys we had on the pitch and it was uh, it was just a, it's been a wild ride and i couldn't be happier i mean it's it's truly fantastic we the, the achievement i remember when i interviewed it was around that time the, to, to basically put together a championship a league winning side in seven days is is truly truly remarkable matt like that, that, i don't know what to say um how do you like does it does it feel like real to you now or is it still like this entire year and this entire process does it feel like a like it's someone else's life and you're looking in or, or how do you feel about this you know it's so funny you said that Nima. so we just got back from italy we went with a bunch of folks in our ownership group and everybody described it as an out-of-body experience and that's really that's really the best way i can sum it up it's been it's just been like we're we're living you know we're living in some sort of outside world where we're just watching this happen as outsiders. But then we pinch ourselves and realize that we're actually on the inside. And, you know, obviously we were part, a small part of um, a team that made this happen. It's been a, it's really been a dream come true. And obviously the cool part about it is that with promotion and relegation, you know, anything is achievable. If you put the work in and you have the right vision and the right team behind you, you know, you can build this small, a reality into um, into a big, big, big dream, and that's really what we're we're trying to do. And this is really just the first step of many that we um, set out to accomplish when we bought the team last September. So I'm also as as excited or as happy as I am about this accomplishment and this achievement. I'm actually more excited about the future because the future is a lot bigger and more ambitious than what we achieved this year. Well, that's that's a great segue actually because that was my next question. Um, what is the objective? Well, just immediately for next season, surely it's to win promotion to the Serie C. Would that would be Serie C, right? Because you'd be in Serie D. Correct. Yeah, we we already, you know, we had been we had been planning for all different scenarios. So just to take a step back, you'll, you'll appreciate this. We this year we had thirty games. Okay, we won twenty eight games. We lost two. 
We had 134 goals, if I'm not mistaken, scored, which was the most goal scored of any team in the top five leagues in Italian football. We had 10 goals surrendered, of which five were on penalty kicks. So there was really only five goals we gave up on, you know, on 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 plays that were, um, you know, actions. And it took us until the last week of the season to clinch promotion because the second place team in our league is Ednia, just wouldn't give up. They won 27 games. They lost two and they tied one. So he, so it made planning very difficult. If we were in pretty much any other Girone, you know, any other group, we would have had promotion wrapped up a month or two months ago, even because we had such a strong competitor fighting. You know, every week they wouldn't drop points. So we actually it made it made planning very difficult because you know we had been starting to plan for Setia D in terms of budgeting and start to look at players and scouting and all that stuff a month or two ago, but you couldn't really begin to make anything formal because you didn't have any guarantee you were going to get promoted. So that made that whole, it was really a fascinating experience for me. And it, it taught me a lot just about scenario planning. For sure. I bet. Um, um, so what's the five-year plan for Campobasso? I mean, Campobasso, given the size of the city, the fan base, you know, the stadium takes, I think, 23,000. I mean, there are there have been smaller clubs in Serie A, much smaller clubs. Um, Serie B surely has to be the primary objective, no? Absolutely. I think, look, well, our immediate goal, our first goal was to win promotion to Serie D in our first year. So we did that. You know, that box is checked. And then immediately, so we had a great celebration last Sunday in Campobasso with the fans. Then immediately, next goal is to win Sedia D and get promoted to Sedia Chi. So that's already what we're planning for. You know, we've put together a budget that should be a top table budget, and we should certainly be more than competitive um, next year and, you know, be able to, uh, you know, be in the mix to do that. Obviously, anything can happen on the pitch. Of course, you know, the results are never guaranteed, but we feel like we're going to be really competitive and we're going to put ourselves in a position to compete for the league championship again next year in Sedia D. Uh, and Sedia Chi, you know, obviously we have experience from with Sedia Chi. Sedia Chi is a challenging league, you know. So when we when we get there, I think you'll start to see, um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of adjustments made, you know, just in terms of you know you're moving from you know what historically was semi professional into professional. You know, there's all sorts of things you have to change in terms of the legal structure and the entity. So we'll do all that, and then you know Sedia Chi really becomes a multi year. Plan, you know, if you look at Berlusconi, what he did with Monza. If you look at, look at Catanzaro, you know, who dominated Serie C this year. Um, if you look at, you know, there's so many other examples. These are multi-year projects. It's very difficult to win mm. immediately in Serie C. So I think you'll start to see us put together a multi-year plan to go from C to B, you know, in one or two years. And then look, once you're in Serie B, we have we have experience obviously with Ascoli. You know, with Ascoli last year and even this year, we had one of the lower third uh, budgets in Serie B and last year we made the playoffs. We had home field and we were two wins away from or two rounds away from getting promoted to Serie A. This year we're right in the playoff mix again for promotion. So, you know, if anything, if history's taught us anything, it's that once we get to Serie B, anything, you know, can happen. So I think that's uh, that's the name of the game, you know, and I think we, uh, you know, we, we've obviously put together, I think a really strong strategy off the pitch, just in terms of monetizing new revenue channels that are going to help, you know, put us in a position to invest more aggressively in the club. And the sky is the limit with Campobasso. And I, I really believed deeply in this project 
uh, years ago. And to see everything come to life the way it has for me has been quite, quite surreal. Of course, I can imagine. Um, I just wanted to just just wondering, do you know what Girona you're going to be in in Serie C? Like the question I'm wondering is basically, are you going to have Catania in yours? In, uh, in, in, or, sorry, Serie D, sorry, Serie D. Do you know what, um, uh, what, what, what Girona you're going to be in? So I don't think it'll be formalized by the Federation until July, late July, early August. But with, you know, 95% probability, we believe we'll be in uh, in Girona F, which is primarily the Roman teams. You know, Roma City is in there. Trastevere is in there. Mm. Uh, Abruzzese teams. Chieti. Uh, L'Aquila, who's going to be a really good team and has been in some of the top leagues before, should be in that region. The teams from Le Marche. Um, will be in there as well. And then some teams from Campania, there's a few, I think, Northern Campania teams there. And then of course the Molisani teams. And we're really proud, obviously, Campobasso is the most popular um, and most historic club in the region to represent the region of Molise. But there's also some smaller clubs in Molise that have uh, done some amazing things the past couple of years and are actually in Serie D. Look at, there's a club called Basto Girardi, which actually is a town of, I think it's like six, seven or 800 people and they actually, you know, started, I think, in the second or third lowest tier of Italian football in, you know, prima, seconda, categoria. And now we're in Serie D and they've actually avoided relegation for a few years in a row now. So we're excited. You know, we're excited to be there. We're doing everything we can to uh, to win again. You know, we're not going to be uh, bashful about that. We're not going to hide, you know, from that. Obviously, when you represent a club like Campobasso, this is a historic club. They've beaten, you know, Juventus and Lazio and AC mm-hmm. Milan before. They've you know, pack their stadium, you know, 25, 30,000 people before. So, you know, you can't just put a team together and study a D to, um, you know, to, to compete at the mid table, you know, they're expecting to win. And that's exactly the product we're looking to put on the pitch. And it mirrors the ambition of, uh, of our project. Well, let's talk a little bit about, about that project, because, um, I mean, you did mention Ascoli, uh, will there be any uh, cooperation, I guess? I mean, the higher up you come, the more interesting it might become for, for, for Ascoli as well and their players. I mean, now I'm thinking you're in Serie D. Is there any plans of, of maybe players, you know, going back and forth and, you you know, you guys working that way with them, with, with Ascoli? Absolutely, absolutely. There's going to be a lot of synergies. Obviously, when we started it, we had to start in the fifth tier this year. So when you're talking about the difference between the fifth tier and the second tier, which is where Ascoli plays, there's just not that much. There's not that many synergies you do. You can leverage now in the fourth tier. Those synergies become much more uh, practical. So I think you're going to see us do a lot with, you know, the youth academy, the Primavera team, friendly matches, leaning on each other's facilities, uh, doing joint fan events and stuff like that. So these are look. You know, Nima, the the challenge this year was we just had no time to plan. You know, we went in <laughs> and we, we we bought the team in September and. You know, we, everything was done two steps after the fact. You know, we couldn't do a retiro training camp. We couldn't, you know, we we couldn't really go out and build our youth academy the way we wanted to. So now I feel like the soccer gods were sort of looking down on us because we won our league in May without having to go through the playoff system. So we basically have a two-month head start mm-hmm. this year. Most, most teams don't start planning, you know, as you know, until mm-hmm. late June, early July. We're going to have a we're going to be in a position, fortunately, where we can begin planning immediately, you know, in mid-May. So I feel like everything kind of evened out last year. We started maybe, you know, three or four weeks too late. This year we're starting a month or two early. So everything is balancing out. 
Well, God knows you deserve that extra time. I mean, I remember when we spoke and it was like a week away from season starting. There was nothing there. I mean, you guys, that's, 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 that's genuinely mind-bogglingly impressive, Matt. I, honest to God, like in seven days, putting together a championship side-winning team is just, I don't even know. I don't even know what to tell you. Like, kudos, chapeau. Like, that's, that's all I can say. I appreciate um, it. Um, and speaking of Ascoli, they have a big couple of games coming up now. Um, they're in the they're in the race to clinch a playoff place. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, with Aspley, it's been an interesting season. Obviously, this has been very different from last season. We went from the beginning of the season, we looked like we were kind of in the direct promotion zone for the first five or six games. Then we hit some bumps. We sort of were flirting with relegation for a little while. We had to make a coaching change. And then once we made the coaching change, we came roaring back and the team's been good. You know, the team's been very good. I think we're tied for eighth place right now with two games to go. We play Cosenza mm-hmm. at home and then Regina on the road in our final two games. So I don't think mathematically we would clinch. Um, I don't think automatically rather we would clinch by winning the final two, but I think with all probability, if we can get six points out of these final two games, I think we really should be looking at a seventh, you know, eighth spot in the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. I mean, I'm looking at it now. I mean, because I love the Serie B, <laughs> and I think it's it's probably the most interesting league in all of Europe, if you ask me. And and my co-host Carlo makes fun of me for it, <laughs> but but I don't care because I love the Serie B. And I and I'm you guys have got 46 points. It's the same as Pisa, Venezia, and you know you're you're and one more you've got one more more than regina and you're two points behind palermo for that last playoff but i mean that's a nail biter um to, to say the least um what what chances do you, you do you give yourselves like to, 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 to clinch that final spot look it's just i i gave up on making predictions in Serie <laughs> b a long time ago just because it's so as you know this is probably the reason you're so yes. fascinated with Serie B. there's just so much parity and it's so you know, every game it's two one, you know, one nothing, three two. You're talking that you can't take any games for granted. The top table games, you know, when you look on paper, you're like, Oh, we're playing a top table team. This is gonna be tough. You wind up winning that one, then you look at the bottom table matchups you have and you're like, Oh, this should be an easy win, and then you wind up losing that one. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've learned not to take anything for granted, you know, consensus fighting for their lives to avoid relegation. I think for the third or fourth year in a row in Serie B, so that's not gonna be an easy game at home. And then the Regina on the road, obviously they just got docked. I think it was seven points. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that. Some of those points could be restored and then they're right back in the playoff mix. So they're going to be out for blood in that last game. And that's people in Zaghi's team. So, you know, he's always mm-hmm. going to have his guys ready to play. Um, so we're just going to put our head down, practice, uh, prepare one game at a time. And I think if we can get six points out of these next two games, I think we're going to be playing for promotion to Serie A again this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of that, I mean, I know you don't want to, like, I don't want to do too much. You know, I know I, I'm very scare, um, superstitious, so I don't want to, uh, I, I don't, you know, push other people on that. But let's just say, you know, should you get that spot? Let's just play with the idea. How do you rate Ascoli's chances? And out of Parma, Cagliari, and Palermo, who would you choose to play? Well... In terms of our, our chances, I think, look, I think if you did the analysis, very few teams that have been ranked first in the Serie B playoffs have been promoted over the past five or 10 years. I don't know the number, but I don't think it's a lot. I think it's only two mm. or three. So ironically, most of the teams that get promoted from B to A via the playoffs are the teams that are not 
seeded first. So I think, you mm-hmm. know, just looking, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the pressure. You know, when you're looking at a first or second seed in the playoffs, the pressure from the Piazza, you know, from the fans locally is incredibly high. Mm. It's difficult to handle a lot of that pressure. You know, so sometimes, you know, we, we have, we're, we would be playing with nothing to lose. You know, if we are Ascoli this year, particularly given how the season went, if we make it to the playoffs, that's a major accomplishment and we can play loose. Our fans are going to be completely supportive. There's really going to be, you know, we're sort of playing with house money at that point. And I think in football, you know, when you play loose, good things happen. You know, you need to stay obviously with the most, with the maximum amount of concentration possible. But if you're playing loose, like you have nothing to lose, good things happen. You know, you don't tense up, your passes are a little bit crisper. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, you, you know, yellow cards and red cards. And, you know, there's just a lot, you play with a lot more freedom. So I, I like our position. If we can get these next two points, I think anything can happen once we make it to the playoffs. Obviously, if it's not us, you know, to your second question, look, it's it's just such a lottery in the playoffs. I mean, any you know, you never know who's going to win that thing. Um, obviously, Cagliari, Padma um, have the Serie A pedigree. So, you know, they would be, I think, would be favorites. Body this year has had an incredible year. It looks like they're probably going to be seated first. Yeah. Um, you know, Sutidol is another example. They came up from Serie Chi their yeah. first year. They've, you know, this is like a miracle what they've done. Yeah. And I and I wouldn't be surprised if they were in it till the you know bitter end as well. So I give everyone sort of an equal chance of winning. I know that's a you know, no. That, of, I think that's that's for like, that, you know if you watch the Serie B, you, you, that's a good that's that's the truth. Like well, he, that's exactly I think anyone's analysis would would agree, uh, everyone would agree with you on that because uh, it's so tight. But speaking of Sutirol. Are they the team that have impressed you the most in the Serie B this season? And what other teams and players have, have impressed you? Well, I think what Body has done has been amazing. You know, Body mm. obviously has massive potential. The De Laurentiis family who bought Napoli, what was it, um, you know, talking about almost 20 years ago now. I think they have a very similar vision for Body as they did for Napoli. And I think they're proving that there's a ton of potential in Body. And I mean, for them to come up from C to B and be you know, not just competitive, but a top table team for basically the whole entire year is a testament to their ability to manage these clubs and, you know, just how they know, you know, to put work, you know, their ability to put first class, um, you know, product on the pitch, both, you know, on the field and behind the scenes in terms of the boardroom and how they're operating the team. So I think that's been incredible. And, but look, I mean, Sutirol, you know, it's a little team that had never made Serie B before. They're up in, I think, Bolzano in the northern region of Italy. And I mean, for them to just come in, they were, I, I would guess they were like top three or four candidate on paper to get relegated. And this whole year they've been flirting with, you know, the top half of the table. And I think now they're in fourth or fifth place. I and mean, that's just been a phenomenal, that's what, that's what football is all about. It's about exactly. the Sutirols of the world. It's about the Fidalpi Salos of the world who just got promoted from C to B mm-hmm. uh, themselves. And it's about the Campobasos of the world that, you know, are just, they're underdogs. They represent the people that never had anything given to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the hard workers, but the people that when they do things right, they, uh, you know, they can ach- achieve their dreams. And I think that's what football is all about. Amen. Um, someone, uh, I mean, Serie B has some amazing players and legends like Gigi Buffon. What, what, what is it like to play someone like that? Well, for me, it's surreal. You know, I remember just as a quick, funny aside, last year, Ascoli, when we, the night before we were in the playoffs, we were playing against Benevento at home. One of my friends called me 
And we, and we had home field advantage in the playoffs last year. We wound up losing one nothing. It was a crazy game. I think we had something like, I don't know, 14 shots on goal in that game, and we didn't score once. And then Benevento had it was like two, three, or four shots on goal. I have to go back and look. And they scored, of course, on like the mm-hmm. one decent. But that's how soccer works. So yeah. my friend calls me the night before we're playing Benevento, and he's like, Matt, like, do you realize that you are two wins away or two rounds away from sitting in the owner's box with like, you know, the Agnelli family from Juventus <laughs> and De Laurentiis from Napoli. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just a humble, you know, kid from New York that just, you know, figured out a way to follow his dream and follow mm. his passion. And um, that was pretty surreal for me. Obviously we didn't win the game, but just that's really what football is all about. And then, you know, to mm. your point about, you know, getting an opportunity to watch, the he- your heroes basically growing up Gigi Buffon, Fabio Grosso, you know, who's the coach of Frosinone, who just got promoted, you know, and so many others, Daniela De Rossi, who was coaching at Spal earlier this mm. year. And you know, these are guys that I grew up looking up to mm. and to have a chance to be in the, on the same, you know, pitch as them, basically, obviously being in the owner's box, not on the field has been, you know, just a, a surreal feeling. Well, speaking about being, uh, uh, an o- a, 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 someone who's an owner or, or investor in Italian football. What since arriving? What's the what is it? What is it the thing that has impre- impressed you or that you've liked the most about being a club owner in Italian football? Well, I think it's the opportunity to build your vision and see your vision come to life and the impact you have on communities because you know I Nima as you know you know I have mm. run businesses of my own for the past 13 or 14 years and mm. I've been an entrepreneur and that's been probably the most gratifying experience you know of my career has just been surrounding myself with good people you know watching you know my vision come to life because of the contributions of others not just myself that that's been an incredible feeling uh, but then when you take over a football club that feeling gets or that opportunity I should say gets multiplied, you know, infinitely, because now you're involving hundreds of thousands and you know, in some cases, millions of people that are bound by one common, you know, goal and vision and mission. And that's, you know, to win on the pitch and to get, you know, their club, you know, their club's values and their club's name out there. Um, Cause it's really a source of pride and identity for so many of these communities in Italy. So that's been the coolest part. It's been really, you know, effectuating positive change, not just on the pitch, but within the community. Like if you look at our project with Campobasso, it's one of the reasons I was so excited and so bullish about Campobasso from day one. You know, this is the region of Italy, they say doesn't exist. Yeah. And, you know, it sort of mirrors my life story and my business, you know, journey. It's, you know, it's kind of an underdog story. I never, you know, had any gifts, you know, given to me. I never took, you know, any, anyone else's money. I did everything mm-hmm. with my own, you know, time and resources and mm-hmm. hard work and kind of built in. And that, that's really, I think, representative of the people that support Campobasso. You know, this is a, this is a region that was never given anything. This is a region that lives in the shadows of its larger neighbors in Rome and Naples, but it's a region that has so much potential if, things are done properly. You know, there's uh, about a million, there's about a million or so expats yeah. who are from Campobasso and from the wider, the broader Molise region that live outside of Italy. And there's 300,000 that live in the region right now. So think about that, you know, <laughs> it's four times the size, the region is four times the size outside of, you know, the, the confines of Italy as it is within the region itself. And when you look at, so, and they're so proud, you know, these people that are, 
from Molise are so proud. It's such a source of their identity. You know, I talk to people in Montreal and Toronto and New York and Cleveland and LA all the time. And if you ask them what makes them proud and what gives them the most, that what, what, you know, what breathes life into them the most and what do they associate their identity with the, their Italian roots and their Molisani roots are literally, you know, at the top, if not number one, you know, number two or number three on that list. So for a project like ours, that's really built around telling this story internationally, making this club not just a source of pride in Italy and in Campobasso and in Molise, but also across the world, you know, for the hard workers and the underdogs and the expats and the dreamers like myself, that that has by far been the most gratifying uh, piece of this. And you have to stay humble. You know, this is, again, like, you know, I don't win any games on the pitch. My ownership team, who I'm really blessed uh, to be surrounded with, we have a great ownership group that has supported me on this project. You know, uh, Mark Consuelos, who, who joined me on the trip to Italy, along with so many of our other investors, you know, Gardner Elner, Pat Chauvin, uh, Angelo Pasto, um, Kyle Casaza, you know, I can go on, the Falvo family, um, Gary J. I and mean, there's been so many, and I'm probably forgetting a few. I mean, these guys have been all in uh, on the club. You know, they've been all in on the club, and that's been the coolest part of it. And it's just, you know, we're just a small you know, piece of this really, we're not winning games on the pitch. You need good people, you know, obviously great players on the pitch and a great coaching staff. And you need, of course, great people working behind the scenes. And then we just have a vision and we're just trying our best to, you know, execute on this vision to help, um, you know, help build something special for these fans who deserve it. Mm, that's, that's, that's a beautiful answer and so true. But on the flip side, what has been the most frustrating or worst thing from the owner's perspective about Italian football? Well, I don't know if we have enough time on your podcast to put on the list. I'll give you a few if you want. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> well, look, first and foremost, you know, you're talking about Italian. Uh, the Italian system is just incredibly, you know, bureaucratic mm-hmm. relative to the American system. So if you're someone like myself who's just used to being an entrepreneur in the United States, you know, it's just a lot easier and quicker to get things done here in Italy. You know, the process takes a little bit longer. You know, you have to go to the notary to get every document, Mm. you know, signed and formalized before it, you know, means anything from a legal standpoint. So there's, you know, there's just the the bureaucratic part of it obviously is challenging. The, um, you know, the, the real estate piece is an interesting piece too. In Campobasso, we have a 25, 26,000 seat stadium, you know, but it's a great infrastructure. There's a great, foundation that's been built, but obviously it was built, you know, now almost 40 years ago. So it does need some upgrades in terms of aesthetic upgrades and the facilities inside the locker rooms, the coach's office, the referee room, stuff like that need to be upgraded. And it's just difficult to get that stuff done. You know, you can't just, you'd think, well, why don't you just stroke a check and, you know, go invest in getting better seats or repainting the locker rooms or, you know, putting new plumbing system in, but it just doesn't work that way in Italy. You know, there's a lot more layers of complexity and bureaucracy you have to go to go through. And, you know, you saw that play out in real time in Florence with what Rocco Camiso has tried to do to build um, Viola Park out there. So that's, that's been a challenge. Um, You know, the the other thing, you know, the other thing, and we've learned a lot, you know, when I first entered Italian football ownership three years ago, we had no network. I knew nothing about running a team. I didn't pretend you know, to know the first thing about it. So we came in as a minority owner and we just wanted to spend time learning, you know, and building a network. And now three years later, 
we've been really fortunate. You know, we've built that network. We have the right resources. We know the right people to call, you know, to call on, um, you know, to help with the team, to run the club. And I'm really fortunate to have done that. You know, so that would just be another word of caution for anyone looking to invest in Italian football, (laughs) especially, you know, that's coming from America. Just spend time learning. If you go in there, there's been so many cautionary tales about these foreign owners that have invested, not just in Italy, but in European football without really knowing, you know, they think just because they have money and they are passionate about football, they, you know, know how to run a team. It just doesn't work that way. You know, there's, there's so much more to it than that. So my advice would be just spend time learning, spend a year or two learning, building your network. And then once you've put yourself in a position where you can uh, do a better job assessing your risk, then I would go all in and, you know, like we did become, become a majority owner and take controlling interest. That's fantastic advice, I think, generally in life, if I'm perfectly honest with you. Just, you know, take your time out, do your research, learn, read up, don't rush into things, and, and then, you know, that's that's great advice, Matt. Um, speaking of someone who has done that, I think I think is, is a perfect example of that, if, of having, and, and now has written history, is Aurelio De La Rentis with Napoli winning the Scudetto. He has step-by-step step systematically built up his Napoli from well, from bankruptcy all the way up to Serie A and bring them up step by step into Europe every year. And now they've won the Scudetto. Um, what are your thoughts on their victory? And of course, the south of Italy winning their first Scudetto in 33 years. Absolutely, uh, absolutely phenomenal. By the way, also, um, Nima, I did, I, we have an, a partner in Campobasso who I just wanted to make sure I mentioned too. I forgot to mention earlier was Gardner Elner, who's basically become like almost like a brother of mine. I mean, him and I are on the phone every day. And I didn't mention him earlier because I kind of forgot he was a co-owner at this point. He's more just like a day-to-day <laughs> operating partner of mine. But cool. I want to make sure I mentioned him. And, Absolutely. Uh, Matt Tartaglia, who's also been, and uh, Nick Gennati, and all these guys have been such incredible supporters of us. And I, I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned them. But going back to um, – Going back to the De Laurentiis family, absolutely phenomenal. And that's just a great example of uh, if you have the right vision, you do things the right way. You have to look at things long term. You know, when the De Laurentiis family took over Napoli, remember, I think, what was it, 2004, I think it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's around them. That's when they went bankrupt, I think. Right. right. So, I mean, think about what they've done. I mean, this has been, this has not been an overnight thing. This has been a basically a project that, that um, has went on for two decades now, but it culminated last week, which I was in Italy, you know, when Napoli won the Scudetto just like, you know, last week, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. But look, that's just a, the De Laurentiis family is a case study for how, if you have the right vision you, and you do things the right way and you build the right team on and off the pitch, you do a good job of connecting with the fan base that really, like you talk about, I talked about Campobasso earlier. I mean, talk about Napoli and the connection that the Napoli fans have to the club. It's such a source of pride and, and, um, and joy and history for all of the people, not just of, of uh, Naples and Campania, but also the Southern Italians, you know, that immigrated, you know, to North America and South America and all across the world, Napoli really represents them and their story. And I think the De Laurentiis family has done a masterful job of carrying that forward and breathing that, you know, kind of breathing that to life in the form of uh, the football club and the way that they've positioned them. Mm, for sure. Um, 
Well, uh, now, you know, like you said, I mean, they now they are champions of, of Italy um, and, and they're, they've also done really, really well in Europe, as have many Serie A teams. I mean, for the first time in history ever, there, there are five teams in the Serie A, Serie A teams in the semifinal of the three European competitions. Um, let's start with Roma and Juve. How do you rate their chances of reaching the final of the Europa League? Well... Let's start with Rome. You know, Roma, obviously, when you have Mourinho on the pitch, if you look at his track record in European competition, it's second to none. So I, you know, it's interesting because on one hand, outside of last year, the comp, was it the uh, Conference League that yeah, they won? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside the Conference League, which I kind of put an asterisk next to personally, I'm not like, I don't put that on the same level of winning in Europe, obviously, as Europa League or certainly not Champions League. But outside of winning the Conference League last year, Roma has had a history of, just not being able to get over you know, to the next level in European competition. And then you kind of balance that with Mourinho's track record, which is and his pedigree in European competition, which is basically as good as maybe any coach of the past 20 or 30 years. When you balance those two things out, it's going to be interesting because on one hand you have a Piazza and a club that's been sort of, um, you know, hasn't been able to win the big one. In Europe, they've gotten close many times, but they've never been able to get over the hump. And then you have a coach that's now coaching them that has gotten over that hump many times. So I'm interested to see how that plays out in real life. I uh, I would not bet against Mourinho, so I my my money would be on Mourinho at least reaching the finals. And then Juventus, look if they're going to take it, they seem to be taking Europa League competition seriously this year. I think there's still a lot of questions around if you know these points are going to be restored, you know, mm. deducted. Nobody really knows what's going to happen there. So I think they're going to put all of their eggs in the European basket and try to um, solidify a Champions League spot via the Europa, the Europa League competition. So that's the one thing about Juventus is that I don't think you're going to have to doubt their, um, you know, their willingness and their their enthusiasm and their effort. So that's going to be interesting. And I, I think anything could happen. I'd love to see Roma Juventus in the finals. That's for sure. Yeah, um, uh, I was gonna. I was gonna. Ask, I can't remember. I, I, if the first time we interviewed, I think you told me that when you were a kid, you supported Roma. Is that true? Or yeah, that, I was a big Roma fan. Yeah, that's just what I thought. Um, I mean, how mo- mouthwatering a prospect doesn't Allegria Mori- versus Mourinho final so- sound? I mean, and who do you yeah. think will win that <laughs> if that happens? Uh, you know, look, I, I think Roma this year has been more together. I think people are more supportive of um, the coach. Obviously, Allegri's had some issues. You know, fans have kind of been hot and cold on him. I know he's had a few well-publicized issues with a few of the players. And I think that stuff really shows up and manifests itself in the big matches. So just based on the kind of feel and vibe of this year, if I had to bet, I would go with Roma just because I think there's more good vibes than bad vibes Mm. going there. And and that, that would be where my money would be. Yeah, and also Mourinho doesn't lose finals. That's just not right. that's just not what he does. Right. Um, speaking of uh, another club that is also in the semi final, Fiorentina. I haven't been at this level. I haven't been at a Euro- latter stages of a European competition in many many years. They've got a good draw, and they really should make it to the final of the Conference League. And they ha- and if they do, they will have done so playing a very attacking brand of football that's paid off really well in the cups in both in Italy as in Europe, but not so much in the Serie A. I mean, why do you think that is? You know, you know what's funny about that is, what's interesting about that is, we, we saw it this year with Campobasso. You know, we, we made it to the semifinals of the Coppa Italia, the, you know, the Dilettante Coppa yeah. Italia. 
and we were also playing for the league championship, you know, league competition, basically simultaneously. So every week it was league competition on the weekend, Copa competition during you know the midweek Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So it's like Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, and these competitions they literally do take on two different lives, you know, lives of their own. So the way you play in the in the campionato, you know, in the league, and the way you play in the Copa could be two completely different yeah. styles. Obviously, with the roster turnover, you know, many times you're playing two different lineups, different formations. You're doing, you know, set pieces are taken differently and stuff. So I think that might be the reason you're seeing that happen with Fiorentina. Um, like just as an example, you know, in Campobasso this year, we scored, I think it was 134 goals we scored in the in the Campionato, mm-hmm. which was crazy. I mean, that was like an average of, you know, five goals or something per game. Meanwhile, in the Copa, we were much more defensive. You know, we were much more counterattack, sit back, you know, don't concede, especially with two leg matches, two leg fixtures. You know, there's a way in, you know, in our competition, there was the away goal rule. I know that doesn't exist oh. in European competition anymore. So anyway, my point is just that you, you find yourself playing two completely different brands of football in those competitions. And I think that's why you might kind of see Fiorentina one and Fiorentina two, you know, Fiorentina one being the team you've seen, in Serie A and Fiorentina two being the team that you're seeing in Europe. Yeah, that's that's a good shout. How do you reckon? Do you how 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 do you reckon their chances are to win the whole thing? I mean, I, I, I think just based on the quality and the football they played, uh, final they have to get there. But then who do they play? If, if West Ham, if they end up playing West Ham, I mean, if you look at that roster, that's a that's 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 some big names in there. Um, even though they struggled in the Premier League, um, what, what do you reckon? I agree with that. I think the you know, West Ham aside, I think that's the irony of the Conference League. You know, we look at the other two co- European competitions, Champions League and Europa League. The Italian teams are sort of the underdogs when you get to a certain stage of the competition. So, like, nobody expected there to be three out of eight and two out of four Italian teams in the Champions League quarterfinals and final and semifinals. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of looking at Inter versus Milan. You were looking at Napoli. You're looking at Roma. And all these clubs that Italian clubs that are in the semifinals, and you're saying, "Wow, like this, this is this is great." You know, we weren't expecting this to happen. It hasn't happened in so long. You know, you juxtapose that then against the Conference League, where I think it's the opposite. The Conference League, you're expecting the Italian teams to get to the finals. You know, you're expecting Roma to win last year. You're expecting Fiorentina at least to get to the final. You know, who who knows what would happen against West Ham, but you're sort of, so I think that's interesting. Like you, you're taking the underdogs in one competition and then you're taking sort of the favorites in the other. So I, I, you know, I'm I'm not surprised that Fiorentina is there. I think we all sort of expected to see them at this stage of the competition. Mm, Agreed. You mentioned it already and I want to get your thoughts on it because we're recording this on a Wednesday, uh, the 10th of May, um, a few hours before my beloved Inter go up against AC Milan in the biggest Milan derby in 20 years, in a generation. I mean, what are your thoughts about this tie? How do you think this plays out? I think, I I don't think anybody can honestly predict what's going to happen here. Like if you Mm. look at Inter, like you were talking a couple, we were talking what a couple weeks ago, maybe a few months ago about Inzaghi being on the hot seat and yeah. the whole season was falling apart. And, you know, now it looks like Inter is basically unbeatable, right? You know, then you yeah. look at, you look at AC, you look at Milan, 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 you know, just coming off the Scudetto, they're very well coached. Um, they have more experience. I think you could argue maybe not these players, but certainly Milan as an, as an institution 
has more experience at this at this level. So you know, it's I think it's a toss up. I, I don't I don't expect it to be one sided one way or another. I think this is the sort of thing that's going to come down to the second leg. It's going to come down to maybe set pieces or penalty kick or you know red card or something that. <laughs> you know, something that's one small detail. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this come down to PKs at the end of the two fixtures. Well, you certainly haven't calmed me down. You just made my heart brace even more <laughs> with seeing that. Like, I just see this going to the penalties and I I just, I'm, I'm going to be there next week uh, for the return. Oh, cool. leg. Yeah, so um, I, I feel like the few hairs I have left on my head are going <laughs> to fall off as a result of this die. If, if I had to pr- make a prediction, I would bet on Milan just because they have the best player on the pitch in my opinion mm-hmm. who's that and Leal. Oh, okay and i think again even though it's not this specific set of players they have experience winning you know last year they mm-hmm. won the scudetto the you know the club has won in europe i think what the you know third fourth or fifth most times out of any club in yeah. the world um and I, I think that stuff you know that stuff shows you know that stuff shows through yeah. the fans and it shows through um you know it shows through the organization and management and leadership in, in games like this. So again, it's a toss up. Anything could happen. But if, you know, if I had to choose, I, I would go with Milan and a nail biter. Yeah. It's going to be a nail biter for sure. Um, speaking of, I mean, given that we, we kind of touched on this a little bit already, could we, dare we dream Matt? dare we Serie A fans and Calcio fans dream that the Serie A teams will take a clean sweep. Fiorentina win the conference league, Juve or, or Roma win the Europa League and Inter or Milan win the Champions League? If I had to guess, I would say two out of three. I mm. think I think Fiorentina can easily win the Conference League. I think Juventus and Roma might even play each other in the finals of the Europa League. So I think by default, you can see an, you might we're going to see an Italian champion in the Europa League. I don't, as proud as I am and as happy as I am to see all these Italian teams reach the final stages of the Champions League, I just can't see... Inter or Milan taking down Real Madrid, or obviously Man, Man City had a you know an incredible first leg. I still think Real Madrid is going to go through, but you know Man City and Guardiola against Milan or Inter in the finals that's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough one. Look, anything could happen. La Pala Rotonda, right? But um, hmm. I would I would say we're going to see two out of three, and I think the Champions League is going to be the challenge. Absolutely. I hope, uh, you know, that that would be absolutely amazing if that happened. Let's not, you know, that the, the Serie A can do that, at, you know, given the, the 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 disparity in terms of financial investment from with the other leagues. It's, 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 it would be truly remarkable. It would be absolutely fantastic because we are, let's remember, we are guaranteed a Serie A team in the final of the Champions League, which hasn't right. happened for many years. So that, that in and of itself is fantastic. Um, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on, Matt. It's always such a pleasure to to do these to these updates with you and see what what you guys are doing um, and how things are going. Um, if people want to follow Campo Basso, and I think they should, they absolutely should. Uh, what, where do they go on Instagram? Where do they go on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff? So it's uh, at Campo Basso nineteen nineteen, and definitely, you know, we're just getting this thing started. Obviously, this year was a weird year. We had to start in September. We didn't really have a good opportunity to take a deep breath and do planning. I think now that we've won promotion and we have a little bit more time to plan, you're going to see some really cool stuff come out of us. You know, you're going to see great um, content, community engagement. I think you're going to see a lot of events. And I think, you know, our, our goal off the pitch is to really create a new level of innovation and a new model for and how to engage with fans and to build something really cool that's grassroots. You know, you can follow us from the ground up as this 
creature, you know, is being brought to life. It's, you know, it's very much, we get compared to Wrexham a lot, you know, what Ryan Reynolds has done in England. You know, I think there's obviously a lot of similarities between our two uh, stories. I think there's also a lot of, you know, quite a few differences. And I think what we're doing with Campobasso in many ways is a little bit more, you know, impact driven. I think it's a little bit more meaningful. You know, our club is really, I'm going to say what you can't say. I think yours is more legit and more actually grassroots than theirs is. Theirs to me feels like a Hollywood production. Yours is the real thing. Um, I know I'm, I'm, I know you can't say that, but I can't. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. Look, I, I take a lot of pride in that. I appreciate that. You know, I take a lot of pride in when we first invested in Italian football, you know, and I mean this, I had no, I had nothing but risk, you know, to take. Yeah. I mean, we had no TV deal to fall back on. We had no TikTok sponsorships on our jerseys. We had no A-list celebrities back then who we could call on. And for me, this was about passion. It was about my family. This was about, you know, doing something good for communities and really using football as a platform to represent, you know, people uh, that, you know, lived life the way my, you know, my parents and my grandparents lived life, which was that they never had anything given to them. And that really, for me, was what investing in Campobasso was all about. So, to see this all sort of come out, you know, come, come to life, uh, you know, and not just win on the pitch, but also get so many amazing partners behind us, you know, like Mark and Kelly and all the co-owners I mentioned earlier. And, you know, Steve Golbchik, who's been a great partner as well. Like these guys, it's just been, for me, I have to pinch myself. It's been wild. And um, I just hope the dream doesn't end. You know, right now we're dreaming and we're going to try to keep dreaming for many, many years to come and hopefully many higher tears to come because um, this is just the beginning i'm hoping absolutely i mean you're mark consuelos I, i've got a quote from him here he's talking about when he joined the group he said so many people can relate to this journey regardless of whether or not they're sports fans whether they have italian roots or if, even if they have ever been to italy we all have a part of us that can relate to campo basso deep down inside and can connect with this story of redemption i think that's a beautiful i think that's very pertinent to it rings really true Really well, it's true, you know, and, and the thing about Campobasso, we talked about this. I think we talked about this when we first bought the team, la- you know, in September. The team was about to go extinct. They were on the, the, the city and the region and the people of Campobasso were on the brink of losing football entirely. And when you're talking about how important football is to a region like this, when you lose football, you lose your identity in a region like this. So, mm. you know, if you want to take it a level deeper, not only were the people of this region about to lose their football club, but they were about to lose an important sense of their se- their self-esteem, uh, their identity, you know, their hope, their pride. And, um, you know, we just came in and all we wanted to do was just restore that, you know, restore that pride, restore that identity. And I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't arrogant or boisterous enough to believe that we were going to go out and you know, win immediately. We just put our head down. We kept our, kept our mouth shut, and we you know, kept our mouths shut, and we just tried to do the best we could to give them a good product on the pitch and to do the right things in the boardroom and to put the pieces in place to ensure a sustainable long-term future for them. And um, you know, 10, 11 months later, to see us, you know, not just win the league, but you know, get promoted and get so much notoriety and have this momentum behind us for me has been beyond my wildest dreams. Mm, for sure. And, and we'll, we're, we're rooting for you. And I know everybody listening is rooting for you too, because it's it's a beautiful story. And what you what you guys have done is, is truly remarkable. Um, absolutely. So thank you so much for coming on, Matt. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you and all the best of luck to you in the future. 
Nim, it's always a pleasure. We uh, we're incredibly grateful for your your support. You know, you give my best to Carlo as well. And please know we're always here to be supportive to you and uh, and the show in any way possible. Thank you so much. And everybody else uh, will be back on Monday for a full review of the weekend's action in the Serie A. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Ciao, ciao.